Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, friend, and welcome back to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about a scary topic, and this has to deal with worker misclassification. So it's been a little while since I've talked about this, but we are going to link past episodes in the show notes. If you're not familiar, a couple years ago, I think it was actually January 2020, so three years ago, an official law went into effect in California that codified a California Supreme Court case that implemented a new test that determines whether a worker is an employee or if they can be an independent contractor. So let's talk about some lingo real quick. When I say the word worker, I mean anyone you're hiring to help in your business, okay? And we use the word worker because it's neutral, with regard to this issue we're talking about. So the issue is, are they an employee or are they a contractor? So I'm not gonna call them an employee or a contractor because that's a legal like definitive term, right? Um, I'm gonna, if I say worker, it means you know that's up for question. Now, if I'm arguing to the state, I like to use the word contractor, if that's what we're arguing about, right? Because the state's gonna say, uh, well, we think this worker is an employee and I'm gonna say, well, we hired a contractor. <laughs> We hired a contractor. Oh, hopefully you see how this goes. So, uh, so language, the language really, really matters. All right. Now, if you're not in California, I don't want you to totally check out because California, um, although we have a really strict test, we're going to talk about it, about 30 states. Yeah. So over half of the states use a very similar test. And um, the Democrats in Congress are wanting to pass similar legislation at a federal level, which would apply these tests to everyone. Now, doesn't look like it's going to get passed anytime soon, because it's just not going to go through the Senate. But you know, this is this is serious stuff. So this test and now if you want to read more about it, I would highly encourage you to bookmark my blog post. It's at www.bradendrake.com forward slash a b five. So A is in alpha, B is in beta, number five. AB5 was the name of the law. Now the law passed what's called the ABC test. So there's three factors, right? So we have A, we have B, and we have C. Let me read them. So part A says the worker must be free from the control and direction of the hirer. Uh, oh, what does that mean? Well, it's pretty nuanced. We, we can get into more of that of, more of that later. Part B is the really sticky part. It says the worker must perform work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. So usually, if you're a photographer, the usual course of your business is photography. So a photographer cannot hire another photographer to be an independent contractor. They're presumed to be an employee, right? Uh, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem, right? Where it gets a little bit more dicey is... You know, I'm an online educator. I run online courses. I also have a law firm. What's within the usual course of my business? Well, legal work and the law firm is within the usual course of the business. Within the online business, um, 
Emily, who's listening to this, who will help create the show notes and all the social media graphics, would we say that that's within the usual course of my business, right? Because it's technically marketing. Like I'm not a marketer, but is it part of the usual course of my business? I would argue no, but possibly like it's, it's kind of a gray area, right? But certainly what's really clear is if they're providing like the core service that you provide, then it's a no with part B. C says the worker must be customarily engaged in an independently established trade occupation or business of the same nature of work performed for, for the hiring entity. So if I'm hiring a brand photographer, in short, they should be in business as a brand photographer in order for them to be a contractor, okay? They need to be in business doing the thing that you're hiring them to do. So that's A, B, and C. Now, the way this test works, the ABC test is... Under states, under in most states that use this ABC test, a worker is assumed, a worker is assumed to be an employee unless the hiring entity, so the person hiring the worker, can prove that they pass the ABC test, which is pretty strict, as I just mentioned. Now, there are tons of exceptions. So I've talked about this on past episodes. That's why we're linking them. I got into a Twitter dispute with the author of the law in California, and I talked about how this law was terrible for the wedding industry. And she, I feel like I should just read this to you, but I also don't want this to be an hour long episode. Um, I explained to her how large corporations are not the ones hiring second shooters for weddings. It's typically two photographers who are friends who have similar level businesses and they're helping each other out. Same thing with makeup artists. And she's like, well, then each of them should just sign contracts directly with the wedding couple. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're getting married, are you going to want to sign a contract with two photographers and three wedding planners and the catering staff of 10 people and you get the picture? Like how outrageous would that be? It's just not practical. She said it's a temporary solution, whatever. So we had this conversation. She asked me to uh, DM her my email. I did. Long story short, I ended up writing a letter on behalf of the wedding uh, industry in particular. I got feedback in the Facebook group about that. This was this was in 2020, right? So it was a few years ago. And then a few months later, they passed an amendment to the law. Whenever I tell the story, I know it very much sounds like I'm taking credit for all of these amendments that happen. I'm definitely not. I'm sure there were a ton of people who requested all of the same exceptions, but I was at the time pleasantly surprised to find that a lot of the complaints we had in the letter were addressed. So we thought in these amendments. So in the amendments, they created something called the event professional exception, which said that you have an exception to the ABC test if you're hiring someone for a single engagement event which they defined as a standalone non-recurring event in a single location or series of events in the same location for more than no more than one week. So that sounds like a wedding to me. But in order for you to qualify for that exception, you must meet eight requirements. And those eight requirements are outlined in my blog post. I'm not going to read through all of them right now, but you should. If you're an event professional in California, you definitely should read through those. Um, there also is a professional services exception, which noted lots of professional services Photo and video professionals was one of them. So there's two requirements that photo and video professionals must meet. And then there's six additional requirements that service professionals must meet under this exception. Again, outlined in the blog post, I'm not going to read through them all here. If you're wondering why I keep giving photo and video as the example, it's because uh, I've been helping a specific individual uh, with their case 
um, against the California EDD, the Employment Development Board. This individual is a photographer, so we're going to talk specifically about their case, which is why I'm mentioning those examples as we read through here. All right, so we had event professional and professional services exemptions, exceptions, I should say, and then we have the business to business catch-all exception, which is an exception that ex exempts a business, a hiring entity, uh, or the worker rather from the ABC test if they also are a business. So I'm a business hiring a business, but this one has, uh, what is it, 11, 12, 12 requirements, really 11, the 12th one doesn't apply to most people. 12, 11 requirements that are very strict. So it doesn't mean that just because you're hiring like another photographer with, with a business license that you are, you know, out of the woods. No. So we have three different exceptions. Now I should also note that if you're hiring someone who meets all of the exceptions within one of these three given categories, it doesn't mean that they're automatically a contractor. It means that you go to our old test, which is called the Borello test, which is just a less strict test, but still a lot of it hinges on control and direction. So you're going to see control and direction pop up a lot. Control and direction is a requirement in almost every one of these uh, exceptions. And when I say requirement, I mean, it requires that you do not have control and direction over the worker as the hiring entity. All right. So anytime you're exercising a great degree of control and direction, they probably have to be an employee regardless. So, okay. So here's kind of our case study. I had uh, someone come to me who was being audited by the EDD. Um, not really sure how they popped up on the EDD's radar. The EDD said they got pulled for a random audit. Joy for them. Now, luckily, this was relatively, relatively low stakes. Um, obviously, nothing is super low stakes because it's fucking terrifying to begin with. So I understand that. I, I don't want to pretend like this is just you know, not a big deal, but so it is scary. It's also just a huge pain in the ass to deal with from a business owner perspective. Um, but the amount of money that the state was going after for these workers was, um, I'd have to double check, but it was like a few hundred dollars, maybe like a thousand dollars total. So not like a huge sum of money, but the individual that I am helping, I'm using helping in the present tense because this is, is still not over, which is why this is not a conclusive case study. Um, the individual that I'm helping just kind of thought it was bullshit. I thought it was bullshit. Uh, I, I still think it's kind of bullshit. Um, so we're trying to navigate it. But I wanted to I wanted to go ahead and share this on the podcast to know what arguments the state is bringing to claim that the person, the people this individual is hiring should be employees. And I'm hoping that even though we don't have a result on what the final outcome of this case is going to be yet, that you'll be able to use some of this information to better protect yourself against this moving forward, because we do have some tips, which we'll get to at the end. So the facts of the situation are pretty straightforward. We have a wedding photographer who hired a couple different second shooters, uh, both of whom worked for, uh, I think it was a single event. It may have been a couple of events, but they worked, you know, as second shooters for the weddings. They had contracts, you know, they set their own hourly rate, which is a requirement under the law as well. Uh, they showed up to the wedding, took the photos, gave the photos to, to the photographer, and then they moved on with their own wedding businesses. So that's how that worked. Now, let me find, okay, I have here the actual report from the state, and I'm going to read some excerpts from this. 
Um, it's general enough that this will all be relatively anonymous, but we can we can uh, see where the state is on this. So the state says, the EDD says, for all services performed beginning January 1st, 2020. So no, we're in 2023 now, and there, this individual is being audited for 2020, so three years ago. For services performed beginning January 1, 2020, unless there is a court of law ruling under a certain code section of the labor code or an exception under other codes of the labor code, the employment status of workers in California will be determined using the ABC test. So I've outlined that for you. Under the test, it must be established if the workers free from the control and direction of the hiring entity, if the worker is providing services outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business, and if the worker has a separately established business of the same nature of work. Since the workers, and again, I am quoting the state here, okay, I am quoting the EDD, this is not of my opinion, this is what they are saying. Since the workers had their own self-employment business, um, the business-to-business business business contracting ABC test exception under section 2776 must be considered. When the exception criteria was examined, it was found that all criteria were not met, including... The workers were not free from the control and direction of the hiring. During the photo shoot, the hiring entity gave directions to the workers whom to follow, what segment to cover, which lens to use, and which angle to take for a certain scenario for the hiring entity. The workers were given instructions about the way the service was to be performed. The hiring entity explains the timeline of the event to the workers, and they worked together to coordinate the photography services. So that was point one as to why they did not meet the business-to-business -business ex exception. The point two was that the workers provided services to the clients of the hiring entity. Now, let's get into that in a second, because this one's wild to me. But you can see the state is saying that the hiring entity exercised they exercised too much control and direction over the second photographer because they were telling them, according to the state, what lenses to use, where to stand, what to do. And we provided counter arguments that's like, no, that's not really how it works. You don't tell them what lens to use. It's more like I'm going to be taking a wide shot. So you should take a close shot because why would we both be taking wide shots at the same time? That defeats the purpose of having a second shooter. The second shooter then exercises their own um, their own skill to choose the correct lens, right? Like they might only have two, so they're going to choose the not wide shot one. Not a photographer myself, but that's my general understanding. I don't think it's that complicated. Um, and yeah, like this is the counterpoint. And, and I kind of tr trying to make this argument that, you know, if this example like does not meet the criteria... For these exceptions then like who in the wedding industry is going to meet the exceptions it's fucking outrageous in my opinion um also just to let you know where we are in this process right now we are we had an argument with the supervisor so there was an audit the auditor made the determ these determinations that we're talking about we just recently had a phone call with this auditor supervisor to state as why we disagreed with these findings we're waiting to hear back from them we're not expecting for them to concede to all of our points. Um, we are expecting that we will need to appeal this. So once we get appeals results, I will probably do a follow-up podcast episode. But this is where we are right now in the process. So the control and direction thing, we talked about that. That's wild to me. If they're going to find that a hiring entity always has control and direction over uh, their second shooter, 
then it's going to be almost impossible from my perspective for folks to work with second shooters as contractors. So we are really, really looking at that. Their second point was that the workers provided services to the clients of the hiring entity. So one of the requirements under the B2B exception, which is what we're talking about now, is that the worker provides services to the hiring entity, not to the clients. And the EDD is saying, well, the photographer is taking photos of the clients, so they're providing services to the clients. And we're like, okay, but the hiring entity hired the photographer. The photographer is giving the photos to the photographer. And they did not seem at all convinced by the argument on that. So um, I think they're wrong, but there's really, this is the, this is the issue with the new law. We don't have any other cases or really anything else to go off of to argue by what the authors of the law meant by that when they wrote it in. So that one is very bizarre to me. I actually made the argument um, when I was complaining to the author of the law about this requirement in particular, because I said, well, if you're a wedding planner and you have a day of assistant, you're not really dealing with the couple so much, right? Especially if you're there mostly for like setup, take down those kind of things. If you're a photographer, you are, but at a distance, right? Like you're taking photos, but maybe you're not communicating with them a lot. Whereas if you're a hair and makeup artist, well, you know, maybe let's say I'm a hair and makeup artist. I'm hiring you to assist me on the day. You're literally doing hair and makeup on either the client or the client's bridal party. So now it's really hard to say you're not providing services directly to the client. So that makes no sense to me, right? Like this particular requirement, I just think is bullshit. Um, but you know, it's what we have to deal with. Okay. So EDD saying, no, you don't meet B2B because of those two reasons. So they're essentially saying you meet nine out of the 11 factors, but you don't meet these two. So you are SOL on that one. They also noted since workers performed a, on a per project event basis, the single engagement event ABC exception under section 2779 must also be considered. When the exception criteria were examined, it was found that all criteria were not met, including workers are not free from control and direction of the hiring entity. And they just copied and pasted basically the same thing from above because there's the same requirement under this exception. And then two, they said there was no written contract that specifies the total payment for services. Uh, this requirement requires that you have a written contract. I think they all do for the most part with the person that you're hiring. And they actually had that one wrong because there was a written contract. So uh, the hiring entity, the, the person I'm helping out was sending them again, copies of the contract, and then that won't be a problem. But still, for them to apply the single engagement event, they have to find that there was not control and direction. And then the next part, the next part, so now we're on the third exception, uh, for the A... No, it says, okay, since workers perform photography services, the professional services ABC exception under section 2778B21I of the LC must be considered. When the exception criteria were examined, it was found that all criteria were not met, including... The workers were not able to set their own hours because the shooting schedule is set by the hiring entity and their client. Going to get to that in a second. And then during the shoot, the hiring entity gave directions to the workers whom to follow, what segment to cover. So that's basically the control and direction thing again. So let's look at the professional services exception. So I outlined this again in my blog post. You can go check it out. 
there's six requirements um, generally for professional services. And this is the one I thought was pretty wild. So there's a requirement that says, listen to this very carefully, outside of project completion dates and reasonable business hours, the individual has the ability to set the individual's own hours. Outside of project completion dates and reasonable business hours, the individual has the ability to set the individual's own hours. So they are saying, the EDD is saying that the workers were not able to set their own hours because the shooting schedule was set by the hiring entity. We counter argued by saying, okay, but the law says outside of project completion dates. And the project completion date in, during an event is the event dates, right? So obviously they have to be there like on the project date, on the event date. But anything else that they have to do, like doesn't have to be during this time, but it just so happens with the second shooter, that's all they have to do is show up on the event, right? If you were hiring, um, the I always give the example of a graphic designer. Like if I'm hiring my graphic designer, my graphic designer actually tends to work. She always seems to be working late. Uh, <laughs> I think she has, a, she has a young kid. So I think she does a lot of work after her kid goes to bed. And if that's like her vibe, totally fine. Because I'll email her and she'll often say, oh, yeah, I'll get it to you like by tomorrow. And then I get an email. I'll get an email at like 10 p.m. my time. And she's on East Coast. So it's like 1 a.m. her time. Doesn't matter to me that she's working at night. I don't care. Um, if I just say that I need something in three weeks, I say, hey, can we get this done in three weeks? And she'll say, yes, I have time. Or no, I don't have time because I'm fully booked. In which case, you know, I can go hire someone else if I need to. But if she's able to get the work done by the particular time, then I don't really, I shouldn't care when she's doing it. If I did care, if I said, hey, I need you to respond to my emails between these hours, A, she would probably tell me to fuck off, right? Like you would probably say the same thing. Um, but B, if I wanted that, I need to go hire a designer as an employee, right? But when we're in the event industry and other things, it's a little bit different. That's why they have this outside of project completion dates in here, I think. So they seemed pretty convinced with our argument on that one. I think they're going to concede that, but we don't know for sure yet. But the next one was kind of this control and direction argument. But under the professional services exception, there is not, the requirement's not the same. It's a little bit more vague. So it says, this is number six, the sixth requirement. The individual customarily and regularly exercises discretion and independent judgment and in the performance of the services. So if we had this, if we have like a control and direction continuum, meaning like on the left side, you cannot exercise any control and direction. I think that's where the requirement under the other two exceptions falls. You know, it's a little bit further to the right. You know, if we could divide it into like into like four segments or something, it would be, you know, like a fourth over on this line if this visual is making any sense for you. This requirement of the individual customarily and regularly exercise discretion and independent judgment, I think that one's easier for us to argue, right? Because what does customarily and regularly exercise discretion and judgment? Does it mean like more than 50% of the time they're exercising their own judgment? More than 10% of the time? Like that's extraordinarily big, but I think it's easier to prove if follows bars further over to the right on if the continuum bullshit is making any sense to you. Apologies, I'm swearing more than usual today, but I think you know what you signed up for when you tune into the Unf Your Biz podcast. So uh, my I'm anticipating that if we're able to get any exceptions through, hopefully they'll, they'll concede on this control and direction element. 
Um, but if not, I think it's more likely that we'll get the professional services exception. Now that's good for this particular client, maybe not so good for the industry as a whole, because not every type of creative, not every type of business is specifically mentioned under the professional services exception. So most wedding professionals will need the single day event exception. And really what it seems to come down to is this control and direction piece, which is bananas. Now, that's all I really have to share on this example. Um, typically, I, typically, I don't like to give examples of things that are ongoing, but I think it's fair to say that I've left this general enough that this could be like, this could be almost any photographer working with any second shooter, right? Um, that That's kind of what we have going on. Now, I'm hoping that we'll have very positive results to show when we get information back from the EDD. Um, if not, I'm hoping that the appellate process is like not super complicated if this client does pursue that and then we'll have more information. Um, this is just a, such a weird scenario where I started talking about this three years ago and it's almost like it's just now coming to fruition because the state's just now starting to audit for three years ago. And the reason I have a very special interest in this particular case is because in my mind, it's going to set, it's going to set a big precedent as to how I talk to all of you, right? Because if this individual is not able to say that these second shooters are contractors, well, then I think we're going to have to have a, a big discussion in the industry about all second shooters and really all, almost all assistants, all contractors in the wedding industries becoming employees. And how do we practically do that? We can talk about it. Now, I did promise some practical tips at the end. Well, what are our practical tips? Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the event professional requirements. So we have control and direction. We got to talk about that last because that's the sticky issue, right? The individual has the ability to negotiate their rate of pay. Um, so you should not, you don't tell, don't tell your second shooters or your contractors for that matter, how much you're paying them. You ask them, what is your rate? And then you're able to negotiate if you want. The negotiation shouldn't be you saying, well, I pay $50 an hour. Everyone takes $50 an hour. It's going to be harder. If you got audited, they're going to claim that's not really a negotiation. That's you giving a take it or leave it option. You might say, yeah, well, they can negotiate back. No, um, if they tell you my rate is 90, then I think it's fine for you to say, well, I typically pay 50, but you're pretty experienced. So I could do 75. Would you do 75? And they say, sure or no, that's a negotiation. Alternatively, if they just give you their rate and you agree to it, great. Um, if you have that in an email, screenshot it. It's good to have on hand. There also must be a written contract. It has to specify total payment for services. So how much you're paying them. Um, What's interesting is, and this is where everyone, this is this is how you this is how lawyers think, right? The law literally says total payment for services. So if I'm interpreting this literally, to me that says I don't want to put an hourly rate in the contract because it says total payment. So I need to say how much am I paying you? Four hundred dollars, rather than forty dollars an hour, right? Now, whether they're that whether they're going to enforce it that literally, I don't know, but I have very little trust that they're going to do anything in the favor of small businesses at this point. Uh, you also you need to have a contract. Uh, oh, and it says and specific rate paid to the individual. That's a little confusing, but you should have payment terms and you should have a contract for every event. 
Each individual maintains their own business location, which may include the individual's personal residence. So as long as you're not sharing an office, then you probably meet that one because presumably the person you're hiring has their own, own home office. Each individual provides their own tools, vehicles, equipment. So don't you know give them the tools they need. They should at a minimum be providing their own camera equipment if they're a photographer. Um, if the work is performed in a jurisdiction that requires the individual to have a business license or business tax registration, then each individual has the required business license or business tax registration. So I've always recommended since this law passed that before you hire anyone as a contractor, you get a copy of their business license because that is a requirement under the law now that they have a business license. So you want to cover your ass and make sure that they have it before you hire them. Um, each individual is customarily engaged in the same or similar work. So we talked about this earlier. It's in this requirement as well. If you're hiring a photographer, they should be a photographer. Um, each individual can contract with other businesses to provide the same or serv similar services. You cannot require them to only work with you exclusively. So again, here, the biggest issue for most people, I mean, you you might have issues with some of these requirements because maybe you've worked with contractors in the past and not given them contracts. Nothing you can really do about that now. You just need to do it moving forward. But this control and direction piece, I think it's... I really think the best thing we can do about this is just make it very clear. Like we have a conversation with our contractors, with our second shooters. We say, hey, I need to be cognizant of this. You need to be cognizant of this. Um, this is like a synergistic thing. Speaking of like second shooters in general, like I am going to jib and you're going to jive. Is that even the right expression? Like during the wedding day, like we need to just kind of, I'm not telling you what to do, right? We're going to talk amongst ourselves and we're going to strategize. This is a collaborative effort, right? So have that conversation ahead of time and also make sure what I would do is I would make sure that every person you're hiring, if you're not going to make them an employee, are very aware of this law. Have them listen to these podcast episodes and understand, hey, if you get audited, your people need to say this. And if I get audited, I need you to say this. And what I want to be very clear about is you're not coaching them to lie. You're not coaching them to misconstrue anything um, because that would be a problem for me if someone thought I was telling you that. Instead, what you're doing is you want to make sure that you both know what the requirements are. So when the state asks, well, did the person who hired you like tell you what photos to take, then if you said, well, they told me that I needed to go stand over there and like use this lens, that's control and direction. But if you say, well, no, I just like, I know that if they're going to stand in this place that I need to go stand in this place. And we would like talk and coordinate, but it was more of a conversation rather than them telling me what to do. If that is true, if what I'm saying right now is true, if that's the way it was handled, then you could really say it both ways. And you can see how one way is going to get the person in trouble and the other way is not going to get them in trouble. Now, if they are truly telling you everything to do, don't say that they told you not to. Okay, you, got, you have to be honest, right? Uh, if you get audited other way. Otherwise, you know, that's fraud and we don't like that. So I probably talked long enough. Um, I'm sure this episode was probably scary to you. I understand. Uh if you need to learn more about this, go read up on it. If you don't know what test your state uses for independent contractors, for workers, I should say, give it a Google. Which independent contractor test do you use in your state? 
Also, keep your eyes peeled. Um, I am releasing another update to my book in about a month, maybe a little longer. And I'm adding an entire chapter on this topic. Um, I'm also going to be teaching it in the next round of my program. And this is something that I'm helping people with in my legal subscription as well. So if you are a little worried about it and you want to talk to me about it, you want to make sure you're protected, you can join our legal subscription. It's $200 a month. And we help with these things along with the copy, copycat Carlos that we posted or shared about on last week's podcast episode and uh, clients who don't pay all those kind of things. That's what the subscription is designed to help you with. Um, so that's enough for me today. Lots of talking. If you enjoyed the episode, give it a share on your Instagram stories. I really think uh, I'm not done talking yet. I lied. I really think this is a topic that we need we really need people to understand and be aware of because I see the potential that a lot of people are going to start getting audited. It's something I've been hesitant to stay for a while because I don't want to terrify everyone. But I think at this point, it is my my duty and my obligation to tell people like, no, we really have to get our shit together. I would be doing you a disservice if I did not scare you into taking this seriously. Um so share with your friends, spread the news, tell them to read the blog post, tell them to listen to the podcast episode. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wishing you the best. And thanks for tuning in. And I will be back in your podcast app next week. Have a good one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.